What is he Aren't doing? Aren't you young? <laughs> Who? You. Who? Me? Am I young? Yeah. That's the question. I think Dave's old. Dave's the oldest out of all of us. No, am I? Am I the old man of the group? Fuck. I'm 36. I'm, I'm 36. I'm 85. So I, okay. I don't know. I'm older than you. John, I'm, I'm okay. 83. John Gunn's John Gunn's okay. You're the senior member. We have to respect you. When we drink with you, we can't look at you in the face. So we have to turn away. What? Are you Korean? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have, uh, I have some Korean business partners. And so, you know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jungan, where's your wife from? She's Malaysian, right? But like, what what part of Malaysia is she from? Um, okay, but she but she was born in what? Ah, how long? How did you guys meet? Like, was she in Singapore when you met her, or what's the story? Out on the page. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Yeah, fair story. Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah. Apparently, I was so drunk that night. Well, apparently it worked out for you, so it couldn't have been that bad. Oh, look at this! Look at this guy. <laughs> What's happening, dude? It took you long enough. Where have you been? <laughs> We're in the same office, and it's like, come on. Clearly, my Indian genes for, with IT support haven't been working oh, very well. Oh uh, well. <laughs> I can't seem to can't turn it off and turn it on again. You know. There's a bit of echo where you are, Andrew. Oh, you put the mic closer to your I think mouth. It'd be, yeah, mic closer to your mouth. Oh yeah. <laughs> Check, check, check. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Now, come on, show us. No, no, no. no fail. Why do we always fail. start the podcast with something sexual, guys? You Three out of ten. This. Three out of ten, Andrew. <laughs> always. <laughs> okay. No, you should have. You ready? Yeah, let's go. You're let's go. the conductor of the show, man. All right. Hello, Barbarians, and welcome to the second episode of the LLB podcast, Low Level Barbarians, from Asia on Asia, with debate and discussion on trending topics with our usual host, the man of the high ground, Dave Chang, Jangan, the information man and super connector, Andrew G, the master debater. (laughs) (laughs) And me, Alex, uh, typically a host of EOA. All right, guys, let's let's get to it. First topic. I guess it's kind of like a follow-on. I hope there's not enough like grab fatigue, but let's let's talk <laughs> about the grab IPO prospectus. Uh, Jangan, you wrote the article on it. Uh, why don't you give us your take <clears throat> on what the results showed and what you think? So what I did on Tuesday was spending a whole day looking at their um, Q1 results, their F4, uh, which they filed to, um, to the SEC on Monday night. I mean, Monday, Monday night our time. Uh, there's lots of information in it, uh, especially in the F4. Um, and of course, I mean, when they announced the spec merger a few months ago, and people were saying that, okay, was it, what exactly is going to happen? And uh, is the 40 billion valuation overvalued, et cetera, et cetera. So um, lots of lots of information, uh, especially on how they recognize the revenue. So so, the, so, so that's a part which, which got most of the confusion, right? I mean, um, so different companies rec- recognize different re- uh, revenues differently. So for Grab's case, I suppose that uh, they had a discussion with the SEC, and SEC said that the previous way of recognizing revenue would not hold because they are charging the users a platform fee. I think 20 cents in Singapore, I'm not sure about what's the rate in other countries. So as a result of that, uh, their customers become more than just the drivers and the merchants. I mean, they're paying customers, the, the ones who pay them. So consumers become their paying customers. 
And as a result of consumers become uh, paying customers, consumer incentives can't be part of the revenue. It has to be deducted. So, um, so you, you have this very interesting Q1 2020 revenue figure of 1 million because, uh, because most of the business segments were negative. Um, how I look at the whole performance, and I think right here, they're doing okay. They're making a profit. Um, and, uh, but that, that's due to their market position, right? That they're leading in most countries. Uh, Indonesia, I think the market share more or less equal. And, uh, and Gojek didn't have much money to, to, to run the incentives last year. Um, Deliveries, they have a, quite a bit of growth, and uh, they have been focusing a lot on Mart, which is beyond food delivery. So, uh, so of course, our numbers are about growth, but, uh, but I, I don't know what was the baseline. They didn't disclose uh, uh, the breakup of food versus non-food. But, um, but I believe that this is, this is, this is the market, uh, as the COVID uh, situation continues, this is something that they will continue to see growth, at least for the next few quarters. Um, financial services is a, is an area which uh, which is a bit of a mess. So it, it is the area which makes most of the losses, and uh, is the area where where I think their market share is the smallest. Um, so we'll, we'll, I think we'll con probably continue to be com competitive for a while. Um, and uh, they didn't really disclose how much. Uh, revenue they are making from lending services. I, I think Shopee didn't disclose, disclose that either, uh, but 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 I'm not sure. I mean, how how this is going to evolve? They probably need to invest a little bit more on that. There's a theory though, which which I find interesting, because um, since every transaction is um, is a grab pay transaction, so they can hide all the customer incentives in grab pay. And, uh, and 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 make the other other segments um, look better, but uh, but I've not dug deep enough to to understand uh, exactly whether that's mm -hmm. the case. Uh, only F four prospectors. Um, the, the most interesting part and the most readable part is actually the risk disclosure. Uh, I think whoever who did that did a really really good job in making every possible risk disclosed. And uh, it's like reading a story. Right? You have the full story about OFO, what's, what might happen to OFO in Indonesia. You have the whole story about, I mean, basically you have like, I don't know, a few dozen pages of stories. And that, that should give you a, a good understanding about, I mean, the dynamics they're facing in, in different markets. So, 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 so overall, I think, um, I think they're probably going to make it uh, for um, end of um, 2021 IPO. So, the review of um, of the F4 will take about two months if nothing comes up, and uh, then they need to give the uh, 21 day notice to to the to the shareholders of the SPAC. So so so, so to, to to call for a proxy vote. So if everything goes well, that's November we're talking about, and uh, mm -hmm. I know so many investors in this region are looking forward to that because they'll be holding grab stocks for a long time. Yeah, that's basically summary. Okay. Um, Dave, I don't know. Do you you want to pull up the parts of the deck, or what do you want to do? Um, sure. I mean, I, let's, I can share uh, my screen. So just give me one second. Well, while Dave doing that, Jangan, so this this whole getting consumers to pay, what's is this an extension of the subscription service that they piloted in a couple of markets, or no? What, no, it's actually um, so so basically, it's actually applied on right hailing. 
So in Singapore, it's, it's what they call a con uh, platform fee. Consumer pays 20 cents for each ride. And this, this money goes to Grab. This money doesn't need to be split with the drivers. So, so, so you can do the calculation. This money is, is basically pure, pure, pure profit for them. Is anyone doing this globally in the ride-sharing space? Like, is Didi doing this? Is Uber doing this anywhere? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I spend enough. Because that's a. I spend enough time trying to understand yeah. how Didi recognizes revenue. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Got it. but, but if we go by the logic that SEC asked them to do that because of uh, this fee paid by consumers. And we, we did look at a few companies. It seems that only DoorDash uses the same uh, way of recognizing revenue as Grab. Other companies using different things. And maybe, maybe we should make a chart at some point of time so it's easier. Yeah. Well, so what's the SEC logic here? Sorry, just trying to understand uh, this. The logic is that the customers are paying. Sorry, consumers are paying customers. So consumer incentives should be contra revenue rather than sales and marketing expenses. Got it. Mm. Got it. Got it. Interesting. I mean, in some ways, a 20 cent charge is almost like a payment transaction fee. And considering they also own the infra for payments, mm. it's almost what Visa MasterCard charges except monetize on an absolute value as opposed to a percentage, right? I don't know if that's a way to look at it. Um, probably. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, how, how, how they factor the, the sort of incentives for, for consumers to use payment services. So that part is uh, mm. it's not clear to me. So, I mean, speaking from experience in e-commerce, typically when it was retail, mm. when we bought and sold the stock, we would factor it against, you know, revenues. But if it was uh, a marketplace trade where the transaction cost was borne by the customer um, and we were just having a commission or some kind of take rate, mm -hmm. then it would be considered sales and marketing mm. as opposed to being removed off the revenue. So it depends on whether it's third party or first party. And in this case, if they don't own the um, vehicles and the vehicles are being owned by contractors, mm. independent contractors, mm. then I guess the logic of considering it sales and marketing actually holds true. But then I'm not an expert on SEC laws, so I don't, I don't know what the specific requirements are. And the funny thing is that because of this, I think uh, I think they have to recognize the same thing for other segments. Um, so mm. um, what I find particularly interesting is that, I mean, they, they have this piece um, called enterprise revenue, where they sell their ads, where they sell their yeah. um, yeah. fraud, control, uh, fraud control services, and yeah. they, they license their... their um, grab defense. Yeah, grab defense. grab defense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the license their map to, to use. I mean, I, I know the guy who developed this map, uh, I think was in, initially out of the R&D center in Beijing. Um, what, what's, what's interesting is that in this segment, uh, they use the same sort of metric, right? I mean, GMV, uh, adjusted, adjusted net sales and revenue. So, so basically consistent as the, as, as the, 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 the sort of numbers from, from the platform, but this is not a platform. So there yeah. you have your, uh, yeah. slides. let's just, let's just get into this. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, so I have, I've had a couple of points, you know, and I, mm. you know, Full transparency. I didn't go through the F4 <laughs> from the SEC because I just didn't, didn't have the time to. I have, a, I I have 600 pages um, prospectus of uh, Bukala Park if you're interested. Uh, I'll, I'll pass. If you, we, we can talk about that. We can talk about that. <laughs> you got the whole weekend ahead of you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I also have a social life. But let's, <laughs> let's do you? Yeah. Uh, let's focus, guys. Focus, focus. Okay. So I did go through their uh, Q1 2021 results that they had released in conjunction with their um, SEC filings and just sort of like 
looking at a cursory glance of this, you know, there are a couple of things that did stick out to me. Um, I mean, one, there's like a conversation about using non-gap numbers, but I don't think that's as important as sort of the other points that I'm about to make. So let's just start from the top line, right? So I think the first thing that really stuck out to me is their GMV growth, right? So if you do uh, a quarter to quarter comparison, right, they went from basically 3.4 billion US dollars in GMV to 3.6 billion US dollars in GMV, which is essentially a 5% uh, difference year over year, which given um, sort of the way that they're marketing the company uh, and how it's being sold. Of course, I mean, let's be clear, 3.4 and $3.6 billion are very impressive numbers, right? But a 5% growth rate uh, in the region and in the businesses that they're operating in, to me, is not a very impressive number. And then we can get into the details of that in and of itself, right? And so if you then look at their adjusted net sales, right? So their adjusted net sales grew about 39% from $367 million to 507 million and their gmv per monthly transacting user also increased from 117 to 153 but i think if you do a bit of a deep dive into this and look at what's actually driving those numbers most of that is coming from uh improvements in their delivery segment right so when we say delivery i'm mostly referring to uh food delivery in terms of their grab mart numbers they've shown 36x growth but they don't actually give you any reference points. So it's impossible to say how substantiated that growth is, right? It could be, you know, $360 million or it could be $360. There's, there's no way for us to tell, right? But if we're looking at these numbers, right? So for, so for me, what it's essentially their Q1 is saying to me is right now their food business is driving the majority of their growth, um, you know, quarter over quarter. Uh, and then so I think the logical question is, okay, so in the context of their competitors, how impressive is their growth. And let me do, I'll dive into the delivery segment specifically, right? So deliveries specifically, the GMV grew from 1.1 billion to 1.7 billion. So that's a 49% year over year increase, right? Uh, adjusting that sales from 149 million to 293. So 96% increase year over year. So they're getting higher take rate. Uh, and then what I did essentially is I took a look at their closest proxy in the region which is Food Panda. So Food Panda, as you all know, is part of Delivery Hero, which is a public traded state uh, company. And, and Delivery Hero has released their Q1 um, results as well. And inside is the Asia region. So the definition of Asia is a little bit different vis-a-vis um, Grab because there's a couple countries that's counted in Delivery Heroes or, or Food Panda's um, Asia region that are not included. But just to give you a sense of you know, what a comparable uh, company or business is doing, you know, as a bellwether indicator, right? So, Delivery Heroes Asia GMV uh, increased from 2.8 billion to 5.1 billion. So that's essentially like a 100%. I mean, a little fuzzy on the math, right? But essentially a 100% increase, right? And their revenue increased from 291 million to 630 million, right? So, to me, you know, while these growth numbers are impressive, they're still you know, being outcompeted by the peers in in the market, right? Um, and then in terms of sort of like the other numbers that are inside here, right? You have the other segments. Mobility has decreased uh, in terms of GMV, which again is not surprising because of COVID. Uh, conversely speaking, their segment adjusted EBITDA has increased for mobility. But again, as we all know, this is very incentive driven and no one's really giving out incentives at the moment, which is also true for food, I would say, right? So, you know, but looking. Was, uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. I don't know about food pan, but like I get no promos here. 
Um, anyway, my point, my point is, you're just already a high LTV customer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. that's, that's true. The, they're like, this guy doesn't need any more incentives. That's, that's probably yeah. true, right. Yeah. And if you look at, yeah. at their financial payments sector as well, right, that sector growth, right? So their financial services, their total growth in terms of total payments volume only went from 2.3 billion to 2.7. So it's 18% growth year over year. Again, this is not to me something that says, you know, rocket ship hyper growth, right? Um, especially if we compare it to some of the other businesses in the region, which we'll talk about later on, on the show. So uh, right now, what, what, I'm, what my assessment of this is, is all the growth is predominantly food driven. Most of the improvements in profitability is coming from lack of competition. But as soon as incentives uh, start to scale back up again, which they inevitably will, once this, you know, uh, health situation is over, I expect to see some pretty marked declines in their uh, segment EBITDA. Um, I guess the flip side, I mean, the, the really positive side is they're very well cashed at this point, right? They have like $5 billion uh, in cash and that's before the SPAC proceeds. So by the time- 10, you know, ten after this. Yeah, basically $10 yeah. billion. Dollars. So, so, you know, they, they have more than enough cash runway to, you know, spend some time figuring things out. But again, you know, looking at these numbers from the Q1, it doesn't change my assessment from the previous episode, which was essentially, I mean, the business itself may or may not make sense, but at the price that they're asking for, it doesn't make sense to me. Actually, I mean, I, I didn't go through the, the delivery hero numbers. Um, they are listing in Frankfurt, right? Uh, I believe so, yeah. yeah, I yeah, send yeah. You so, the, I'll send you the link later. Yeah, you can look at it. Cool, 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 cool. Um, yeah. So... So one thing I'm, I'm not sure if you pick it up is that, uh, of course, I mean, their business in Asia would include businesses in Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, I think Japan mm -hmm. and Korea. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and, and we did assessment uh, in January about uh, delivery numbers in Southeast Asia last year. And, uh, and one thing which surprised us was, uh, I think our estimate was, um, was Singapore's total GMV for food delivery was about 60 to 65%. Of Indonesia, I mean, you compare. I mean, how big Indonesia is versus yeah. how big Singapore is. Oh. So, um, so, so, so we attribute that to to a number of reasons. I mean, firstly, is that, um, I mean, average um, basket size here is much yep. much higher, and and the second is that uh, I mean, Singapore enforced two and a half months of lockdown pretty strictly, yep. and even after that, there, there there were periods where where people just um, just just don't go out and eat. So so basically, that drove the the, the demand up. So I suspect that um, that the GMV they can potentially get um, um, from Korea, from Japan, from, from from Hong Kong would be actually fairly significant. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do believe that pl places like Indonesia and Vietnam, uh, where you can have impressive growth, but uh, but it's still a relative long term game. Um, the other mm -hmm. thing I'm I'm mm -hmm. not exactly sure about is that um, so Q1 they probably haven't completed the. Um, uh, the purchase of uh, of Uwa Brothers in Korea, the number one player. So I'm not sure how that was factored. I mean, if if Uwa is mm. is, um, is included in 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 delivery hero Asia numbers, then the number would be, yeah. would be looking very impressive. Sorry, when the that purchase was in Q1 of 2020 or 2021, just uh, for my I think I think it was announced a while ago, but uh, but it took a long time for the Korean regulators to approve that. Remember, they had to to divest uh, another player that they owned. So that uh, right. they don't have too much market share, right? Right. Yep, yep, okay. Yep, yep. So, yeah. so, so, so it's like all these factors you have to you have to 
um, you have to consider before you can compare Apple to Apple, which is kind of annoying. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's not a clear split of like ride healing versus food in the deck, right? Or is there one in the F4 German? In terms of GMV, you can see that in the in the in the Q1 results. Yeah, GMV is broken out by segment, or yeah, by got it. Yeah. I mean, I guess my my, my overall take of the Grab IPO is that they're really trying hard to paint, you know, profitability picture. And it's like, it's, there's a lot of obfuscation, I think. Like, it's a lot of financial jiggering around, and it's not clear what the metric means. Like, my, my biggest contentious point is, like, uh, the profitable, profitability metrics, like, segmented is just a EBITDA, right? It's just, it doesn't include regional costs. That could just be a big black hole for all you know. Right. So like, what, what does that actually mean? Like how profit, like what do you need to fire everyone? But then what, how does your machine work? So no, I, I think like, it's just very hard to understand real profitability. So, I mean, of course, like I think they told me, like, you just got to dig into the F4, right? Which yeah. you know, if, if you want to do the hard work and really figure out the story, it's going to take a lot of time. Um, but it's clear though, the deck is trying to paint a certain narrative to kind of fit leading into the SPAC. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's very questionable. And, and if you really look at the profit margins, right, it's only 6% of GNV. It's like yeah. $60 million, right? So I think it's, that stands to Dave's point. At this current time, valuation is just way overvalued given to what they're generating. And the 6%, like that's your margin. It's very flimsy. Like it's just, it's, my point still stands from the last episode as well. Like, you know, it's, it's very hard to defend that. And, you know, like Dave brings up a great point about food. And, you know, anyone with a war chest coming in, you know, it, there's very hard be defensible i guess um in terms of switching costs right. at, at this point in time for four, four verticals yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna break this down and start blowing the grab trumpet here guys but, <laughs> someone has to <laughs> someone has to someone has i to. think I, I need to wear a i need to start wearing a green shirt you do, you do. Just, at, this, yeah. at this rate of you know sharing anthony down on but okay let's let's look at this right so they've lost 500 so gmb drop year on year is about 500 million right uh, if you look at the uh, just the, just the slide decks, right? Deliveries up the exact same amount. So basically, the losses in in mobility was replaced by deliveries. And what's very clear is like your take rate on deliveries is going to be a lot better. Your and, and that's an, an absolute improvement in profitability. So net net, even though GMV's like been replaced by one category into another, it went into a profitable category. And now arguably. Uh, if if deliveries is about habit building and getting people to start buying these things, and it's likely that in a in a region where car ownership is pretty high, motorcycle ownership is pretty high, but you know there's a bit of space to grow in terms of deliveries. They're probably, you know, the growth is probably going to skyrocket in deliveries, and and because take rate and profitability is higher, you're basically moving from a less profitable business into a more profitable business. So that's good, and that's not even counting financial services. Now, if I look at financial services. It's gone up what five hundred million as well, right? Um, and financial services is is literally a year or two before when things were going to blow up. We're literally seeing, if you remember Shopee in twenty seventeen, right? It was nowhere to be spoken of, but then like it just completely skyrocketed, right? And it was because a lot of elements came into play. Grab in the next six to twelve months is getting their digital banking licenses in multiple markets, right? With the banking licenses, they're going to have capital. Net interest margins are going to go down because uh, go up because cost of capital becomes much lower. The amount of products they can they can push, 
and, and you know, Southeast Asia, we we don't even know what's going to happen. Like, is it insure tech? Is it fractionalized gold shares? Is it crypto? Like, there's a team in Grab working on crypto at the moment, right? They haven't really launched anything, so who knows what they're doing? But there's a space to play in terms of crypto exchanges. You know, the the governments in each market is just starting to figure this out. So if Grab plays this financial services act right. This is like, we're literally seeing the start of the J-curve, right? So so if you break it down, driver tree-wise, mobility, sure, GMV went down last year, expected, but it's going to be replaced next year, and arguably, they can improve profitability there. Deliveries, it's going to skyrocket. Profitability is going to increase there. And then financial services is just like, we're literally at the beginning. It's a series A for GFG, right? So I don't know, as an investor, I'm saying like, you, you literally get to be in the beginning stages of something that's going to blow up. Sure, the numbers don't look good right now, but you're comparing them against who? Um, and, and, and to the point of competition, for sure. I mean, like, you know, if you're, if you're a smart investor, get some stock in, in SEA as well, right? Because at the end of the day, they're launching Shopee food across all markets. They're going to be as, as aggressive as they did with e-commerce, which means, uh, you know, it, it's a win-win for merchants and consumers. That's going to squeeze margins in a region. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me just interject uh, one point to your point, Andrew, about uh, the growth rates. I don't actually think food growth rates or delivery growth rates are sustainable uh, mid to long-term. If you think about it, right? Like we've all been locked up. People in the region, more or less, have all been locked up for the last, depending on which country you're in, which market, anywhere between like four to eight months, right? Give or take. So obviously what you're doing is you're, you have this exogenous factor of our, our public health situation, which forces at adoption of this service, right? So yes, it did grow. And this is true for the entire industry, right? I'm not picking on Grab in particular, but so even in the food pandas case, where they grew 100% year over year, I don't think that's a sustainable growth at all. Once we go back to some level of normality, people can go eat again, people can go mm. to the grocery store themselves, whatever, right? I expect those growth rates to come down significantly, right? So mm. I think mm. us projecting out their delivery growth based off the last year is is not tenable long term right uh, yeah mm. i have the same problem with ride share as well like they're like in three four years it's going to grow from the current rates of what, like three four billion gmv to up to eight billion i just how big do you think the transportation market is and my, my point to that is because what's going to be their cash cow i mean okay granted i think dave's point about runway is really good so if andrew's story is true they have enough watch assuming they go uncontested right which not really sure, but they, they could back into it in the next 10 years with $10 billion, right? Even they burned a billion a year, right? So, it, it, you know, your story might have legs, Andrew, but it, there's a lot of problems to it still, I think. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are hungry who are looking at the region now within all these kind of valuations, and we're going to see even more money come into it and more competition. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I'll, I'll give you also another angle that we didn't talk about. I think a huge problem to food and rideshare is the supply side of actual cars and drivers. I think we're at a saturation point. You go to every market, I think you've maxed out. I mean, it's also like relative to the supply and demand balance. Like when you run it, you're, you're always trying to optimize for fulfillment when you kind of run rideshare or food and you know capacitization. But like you, you're at the point where you have to grow the supply base to even match this monstrous growth that they're projecting, right? So I don't right. know. And right now in Malaysia and probably other markets too, you're constrained. Like these drivers are on every single platform. So, you know, it, uh, the, you know the, in terms of incentives, you have to go even crazier if you want to grow supply more, right? So to match this growth. Yeah. Oh, okay. so, so two, two retorts to that. One is, one is like, look at China. They still are able to grow like delivery services. Way and, bigger and market, right? <laughs> I don't... Uh, 600 million, 1.2 billion, right? Yeah. Sorry, Jangan. 
I don't see the supply of uh, of drivers being a problem. Uh, I mean, with the exception of yeah. Singapore, I don't see that as a problem. And uh, and to the contrary, I mean, when you have had that growth uh, over the last year and a half, then then the density of the orders, I mean, I presume have increased uh, has increased quite a bit. So which means that the the, the same amount of riders they're getting more jobs. Um, what I would be worried yeah. about in Southeast Asia is actually, I mean. Um, sorry, maybe politically incorrect is that there's not enough formal jobs being provided to people, which, which as a result created that so many people yeah. having yeah. to take this kind of um, uh, freelance jobs. So, 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 yeah. so, so, so I'm, I'm mm. not worried about supply of riders at all. And in fact, I mean, yeah. uh, the the the, the answer becomes, I mean, the more that each rider would, would make, and uh, and and that keeps the system going. If I look at Meituan, this is how how they managed to to create this uh, this wheel, right? I mean. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you know, there's this big hoo-ha about uh, uh, there's this big hoo-ha in China about um, forcing Meituan to pay for the um, uh, yeah. for the social social security of riders. And I actually asked mm. uh, a number of friends, I mean, including friends at Meituan, about the cost structure of uh, uh, not cost structure, but earnings of the food delivery mm. riders versus people who would be working at warehouses, working in factories. And, um, and and in multiple cities, I mean, if you work as a food delivery rider, on average, you earn 30 to 40% more than if you are working in a factory. Same working hours. And, uh, and of course, you have much, much better working environment. You are outside and you have fresh air. Uh, you are, you, 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 I mean, you get exercise. Uh, you're not stuck with the machine. And so, 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 so basically, it's... it's, it's it's a much better life, to be honest. <laughs> Amazon, sounds, Amazon warehouse like workers a, also get exercise. This, <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a propaganda recruitment pitch deck. You know, you will get exercise, exercise while you earn minimum wage. <laughs> no, but exactly. So I, I don't know if I. I mean, okay. I'll respond to this. Like, I, I'm not sure I fully agree because I don't know if you remember our days, man. Like when I was waking up at three a.m., four a.m. in the morning to go find drivers, dude. That was hard already. And you're telling me like it, it's because you were not, not paying them. That appealing. Because 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 it be, no because no because you yeah. didn't have orders you didn't have orders to give them and they didn't have enough earnings yeah. <laughs> and, and, and to compensate for that you have to pay them incentives yeah okay yeah so, okay, there you go yeah it, yeah, it, yeah I don't know I think we're already at the peak of the the size of the market and then it's actually macro factors we're at the peak the question is whether or not the you know bottom line for these companies actually very interesting like topic here that we're sort of touching on which is how much of the effects of COVID in, in terms of the positive upside to these digital mm, companies okay, yeah. is going to last, right? Meaning yeah, both right. on the top line and the bottom line. Yeah. So for example, if you speak to anyone in, in C Group or Grab, they'll say, we foresaw this kind of growth happening just maybe three years down the growth. We just didn't expect it to happen now, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. um, now then the question is like, and, and so as a marketer, I believe that you know, when people build habits, those habits can stay. So, so maybe I have roast into glasses and I believe that if people are, are used to ordering food as frequently as they do right now, some of those may, may stay. And we almost like bought ourselves three years or four years into the future and some of these habits, right? Yeah. But on the flip side, on the flip side, funny story, last year we had an Asia pilot in a car delivering one of our food delivery packages, right? And and, you know, it's unfortunate that this market has gotten to such that like people that had like high paying full time jobs are now working in these service mm -hmm. industries. But yeah. the problem is, will that exist? Like when Asia is like everyone can fly again yeah. in six months from now, but then suddenly this whole like group of, of uh, delivery riders have just disappeared off the market yeah. and suddenly your incentives are going to go up. Right. So arguably, I think what we're like, it'll, it'll probably net net 
but or if this I, affects, so yeah. I, I think I think you've hit on you you said it in, in what I was trying to say in a much better way exactly is how much externality is built into the business right now right and my view of this is actually this is probably the best thing that could have happened for a lot of these companies right because yeah. if you think yeah. about it you've you've turbo boosted demand and you've turbo boosted yeah. supply right so all yeah, that money correct. you've spent acquiring customers and incentivizing your drivers you don't have to you don't have to spend it because you're right everyone's locked yeah. up and no one has jobs yeah. or a lot of people don't have jobs yeah. right and so it, it's it, as a marketer we all know this right obviously you can't project your cac costs out beyond a certain point because the next incremental customer is going to be that much harder to acquire right and that yeah, my my, yeah. my thesis of this is yeah. as soon as this is over whenever that is and we hopefully it's sooner than later right these numbers are going to kind of go out the window and we're going to be in a whole new landscape where it's going to be much less rosy looking mm, yeah and i do agree uh, so, yeah but, sorry alex go ahead no, no, no alex. i was just gonna say i kind of agree with the the marginal acquisition cost kind of that, that's my whole point is like it, you know, getting new drivers beyond what we're seeing now, it's just, it's diminishing. Like we, we, we saw this early days doing ride share, you know, it was just very expensive. But, and, oh, okay. But, 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 in the price world, there's a monopoly now. You can't compare. You can't compare. You can't yeah. compare. Yeah. 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 So, so, man, I'm, I'm just going to like say, I, Dave, I actually think it's the opposite way. Like it, it of like two things, right? Number one, there's been a massive discount in customer acquisition costs for these companies in the last year. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. yep. just just for pure reason that yep. they, they just had organic organic acquisition because people were at home and they're like shit I need to eat right let me just order from this, yeah. this app people keep talking about food panda yeah. let me just download this app right so CPIs probably I, I would love to see the numbers they must have tanked right yep. number one number two is now that you have this install base and you've kept them for you know past that threshold of uninstall whether it's sixty or ninety yeah, days you know how much are people going to uninstall you right. This is like like the first way you win. The second thing is, mm-hmm. I actually think CAC decreases. Sure, the the marginal cost of acquiring the next customer increases, but as an average, as a mean, your CAC goes down overall. And the reason for that is you have network effects. If five of your friends are eating from Grab all the time and you're the only odd one out, it's a couple of days before you go, damn, I got to try this thing because everybody seems to be talking about how easy it is to buy with this thing. That's how Pinduoduo grow. That's how any viral app grew, right? And I think some of these apps are going to have this like viral organic growth from network effects, from word of mouth, et cetera. Okay. Okay. I'm going to interject here. Yeah. I disagree with you strongly about this, right? And I'm, I'm thinking about this in the context of um, Metcalf's, Met, Metcalf's law. So does everyone know what? Okay. Just to explain. So Metcalf's law essentially states that the value of any social network is the square of the number of connections on a social network. It's an approximation, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, Facebook is more valuable for exactly that reason, because all your friends are on Facebook, right? Or, exactly. or WhatsApp or yeah. whatever, anything, right? Um, that doesn't yeah. apply in, in this case. Right. I mean, yeah, it, maybe you'll have some marginal effects in terms of acquisition costs from you recommending it to me or me recommending it to whoever my friends are. But just because we're all on the app for food delivery app, it doesn't, in its current think, form, it doesn't have any, what I would consider compounding networking facts. I, I think that mm. we're talking, I, I think what Andrew mentioned about network effect is uh, he probably meant something else, right? I mean, um, when I look okay, at, uh, for instance, a cross-border commerce, right? Once you have that channel open, once you can get things f- fulfilled to, to people within a couple of days versus two weeks, and uh, and versus, I mean, if you take this back to to food delivery, I mean, now, I mean, you have reasonable 
capability in the market to fulfill your food delivery orders in 30, 40 minutes versus in the past. I mean, if the orders increase, then you can't fulfill. So, so, so that 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 creates a um, convenience for customers. Um, and right. uh, and and that, that that gets gets more comfortable for people to to order. I mean, if you see the case in China, right? I mean, the young people once they get used to food ordering, they, I mean, my mom, she's retired. She got back to work uh, work for for my, for my uncle's hospital as uh, I, I don't know what she does, uh, but she said uh, <laughs> there's a canteen and all the young people are ordering food delivery every day. I mean, this is not in a big city; it's in a small city. And they said mm-hmm. these guys are just not used to eating at the canteen every day. Order something which is twenty yuan, thirty yuan. She thought it was quite expensive because it's free to eat in yeah. a canteen. But for them, it's just okay. I mean, I'm used to it. I mean, test is good, and it's convenient, and it's better than canteen. And and they they, they just, just they just used to it. It's so difficult to get it out yeah, of it. So so there's two very interesting pieces here that I just want to like. So first is I think to to Jungan's point exactly. You're right. I'm not talking about network effects from from acquisition. What I'm talking about is the fact that. Early adopters, always difficult, always expensive. Once you convince them, you start to ride the the normal distribution of getting your mass market consumers, Mm -hmm. right? And I think we've always felt like Southeast Asia, oh, you know, when are we going to stop with this acquisition? Are we already at the bulge? Are we not at the bulge yet? And I actually think we're we're still ahead of the bulge in the sense that it, we're still still yeah. acquiring a ton of customers that haven't used this stuff yet, right? Yeah, um, and so it's what I mean. It's it's not like necessary network effects. It's formalness and a feeling that if all my friends are doing something, maybe I should also do that as well. Like that's how a lot of these services get adopted after a while. But that being said, I think you have a genius point here. And if anybody from Grab, Shopee, whoever else is listening to this podcast, what are the network effects that could be baked into these apps? Because right now they're sitting on a treasure trove, right? Yeah. And and if you could actually allow community-based interactions to happen within these apps, you could actually strengthen those networks yeah. between people. So, for example, I don't understand why Grab has not gone neck-to-neck against Carousel and Facebook Marketplace and Launch Marketplace. They've got chat. They've got yeah, payments. Right. Yes. All they need is a yes. tab that lets people auto-upload their own products yeah. yes. and then just monetize the shit out of that, right? Marketplace oh. should be something you should launch. You've got P2P logistics already. Yeah. yeah. So if anyone from Grab is listening to this, launch Marketplace, goddammit. Like, I don't know what's taking you so long. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. agree. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Like yeah. some sort of networking, some sort of moat, right? Because right now the moat's yeah. quite weak. It's just a capital mm-hmm. note, but if they can actually Correct. monetize all the use, or if they can leverage all their users into something that's truly like an actual network, then then yeah. I would actually change yeah. my tone substantially on this business, and I'd be sure. super comfortable sure. about it. And with well, ten billion, with, with with ten billion in a bank account, I mean they are in a better position than anybody else to do this. Yeah. 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 But but it's yeah. arguable that maybe they're going to the stage, and this is my like this is my only caveat about Grab. I think they might have gotten too big to be as innovative as possible, and some yeah. companies are able to like yeah. continue. Like yeah. like I, I don't yeah, know what the shoppy people drink when they mm. go to sleep at night, but I want a piece of that because they <laughs> seem to be innovating like mad, right? Yeah. yeah. But on Grab side, like honestly, I could name five innovations that they would be absolutely like, dude, the, like just. Marketplace as a model, C2C, yep. completely uncracked in Southeast Asia, huge market, mm-hmm. right? Yep. They could be launching a whole bunch of things off their, their logistics infrastructure okay. that, that they're like group buying, community buying, yep. 
the the whole Pinduoduo equivalent could be launched in Southeast Asia right now. Everyone's experimenting on it, but no True. one's really yeah. launched it yet. Like, why why is that yeah. not a thing? Instant messaging. I tell you, at Lazada, when we launched seller buyer IM conversion rates skyrocketed because mm. Southeast Asians we don't trust people at all. We need to talk <laughs> to them first, make sure they are nice people, yeah. and if they say a couple of nice things, we're like, fine, I'll buy from you. I I spoke to a taxi driver in Bangkok once, right? She was like, "Where do you work?" I said, "I work at Lazada." She's like, "Okay, uh, you know, I, I don't buy on, on on Lazada, but I buy on Facebook Marketplace." And I was like, "What the hell, yo?" Because like, you know, Facebook Marketplace just launched three months market ago, for been around for years. And she's like, "No, because I get to talk to the person and see their profile mm. picture." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. Like, and people in Southeast Asia, they they need that handholding, right? And grab, grab, goddammit, you've got instant messaging as a feature. You could launch the Line or WhatsApp business in Southeast Asia, right? And monetize that, right? There's there's at least eight monetizable lines, and this is also why I'm excited for Grab because I feel like they've got the pieces, but they can either go the Sony Ericsson route yeah. or the Apple route, yeah, and yeah. that's that's hard to say. That's also right? a big question but mark, right? Build- I mean, so I mean, I yeah. guess I guess Anthony Tan, if you're listening, I'm sorry for everything I said last week. Please call us, <laughs> and, and we'll increase the value of yeah. your business. <laughs> and what what is it? And sorry, go ahead, and when we talk about marketplace, uh, uh, watch what TikTok is doing. I mean, um, I think yeah, what they yes. have been experimenting is, 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 is phenomenal. And, and the only the only problem or the That's only sort of obstacle which might prevent them from doing something effective is their internal priorities. But 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 what they have been doing in Indonesia, I mean, I, I mean, you go to TikTok in Indonesia now, you can check out inside the app. Yeah. Yes. You, you, you can't oh, wow. do that with yes. uh, with Instagram. You can't yeah. do that with Facebook, but you can do that with, uh, with you TikTok. Can, you can with Instagram, but it's it's not as focused. Like I think the problem is these big American companies who have already giant monopolies here, but they don't really focus on this. They're just too far away, right? Like, they, I, like no, no, it's not because they, I I think they're so afraid of. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no I, Dave, go. I just just one. That's a feature. That's a country feature rollout issue. So Instagram checkout exists in various advanced markets, and like in the U.S. And I think I think some European markets. So it exists, but they clearly haven't prioritized it for the Asia region. So that's that's my only Which point. Crazy. Yeah. So my, my position is actually it's it's not a prioritization issue. Actually, it's a it's a fear of a risk taking issue. So so WhatsApp tried to roll out Pay in Brazil, backed out twelve to twenty four months later. They tried to roll out in India, they backed out, and then they decided to launch Libra, now rebranded as Novi, which was like one of the biggest mess ups of the last two years, right? Because yeah. they were like, let's just take crypto and take over and launch it all over the world <laughs> and like fuck Bitcoin, fuck okay. Visa, you know. But, but, but the problem the- with that is. No, no, sorry, sorry. So I think what happened was, and internally, Facebook has become so afraid of, like, they, like three years ago, they wanted to be the WeChat of non-China. Basically, take yeah. the rest of the world, let's be WeChat and build super apps the way yeah. they did it. Yeah. And then they had three fintech mess ups and they were like, who, like Indians mm-hmm. were like, we want net neutrality. We don't want your oh, stupid payments yeah. taking over. And then yeah, the okay. geo okay. Facebook uh, deal I, happened. And, and now it's a bit friendly, but is it really? And then Brazil didn't work out. So I think what's amazing is this, right? In all these regions where WhatsApp isn't moving fast enough, actually there's an opportunity. And, and that's where Line is. Like, why is Line yeah, number yeah. one in, in, yeah. in, in uh, Thailand? Why is yeah, that? Yeah. Uh, in Vietnam, what is it? Zolo? Zolo. 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 Zolo is like number one, right? And yeah. so and so there's like this amazing white space here, but who's fast enough to fill that up, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So, Agreed. So, so, so a friend of mine, I mean, you can probably guess who that is, who got rich via <laughs> Facebook. And uh, then he came <laughs> to the region, and then Facebook is trying to get him back. 
And uh, <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he, he, he said, there's only one thing which might accept me if I go back to Facebook, and uh, which is mini programs. I mean, if you, if you can build mini programs yeah. on Facebook, yeah. exactly yeah. the way that yeah. WeChat did, that would be amazing yeah. because that would be yeah. open so many opportunities. Yeah. But that's, and also that's something that Facebook started with. And then, yes. became, yeah, 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 they started as a mini app. Yeah, their app marketplace, yeah. 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 So, so shout, out, shout out for another company I'm super long on. Zoom launched mini apps last week, guys. Yeah, they updated Zoom. Oh, you updated Zoom. There's a new app space, and some of them, like what I like about it, is they decided to not do it corporately. What they did is like you have direct integrations to Asana, Jira, so you can run your mm -hmm. you know coding mm -hmm. uh, Zooms. But they also have Werewolf with friends, right? Mm -hmm. So you can do like fun uh, interesting. stuff in with your family. You can do like. Uh, picto charts and like uh, yeah. like uh, whiteboardy stuff, yeah. and I think Zoom, like if Zoom plays this right, and I hope they do, they yeah. will build this like nice interface around video and try to replicate what what uh, yeah. uh, what happened in China with WeChat, yeah. like ad payments. Well, let me run my yoga instructional studio yeah, on Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad that you really like this idea and these models because that's the exact counter argument as to why Grab could be in trouble if one of these guys wake up and start innovating this, right? It, it, it's just yeah. they have their own network, yeah. their own moats. If yeah. anyone, like Facebook yeah. wakes up, if anyone wakes up, that's what's definitely going to happen. Yeah. So that's one risk they will have to figure out. Like either they need to be, either they're going to get acquired because they need a cash cow or they have to figure it, figure it out sooner. Like what, what really drives profitability in a substantial kind right. of long-term. But I think guys, let's, let's yeah. move on. We, we've talked about- Yeah, let's move on, yeah. Okay. You should rename this podcast to Grab and yeah. Other Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> too, too much Grab, too much Grab. Yeah. Um, okay, let's, next, week, next week, no Grab. Forbidden, forbidden, yeah. no more Grab. Forbidden, <laughs> we'll, we'll do something else like Shopee and or something yeah. Zada, your, your, your favorite topic. Uh, but okay, for let's move on to, again, sorry, we're doing China Crackdown 2.0. Um, so back in July 22nd, I guess this kind of came on our radar when we were talking in our own group. Uh, the Hang Seng Hong Kong Index, right, on the 22nd of July dropped 10%. Uh, there was more crackdowns happening. Uh, Jenkins, what was the background and what is everyone talking about now? There's, there's lots of things going on. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's really lots of things going on, but, um, but, but I think essentially is, um, is uh, there, there, there are a few uh, social agendas uh, that the government is trying to push. And, um, uh, and these days, I mean, many of my friends are reading this book, this three-volume book um, uh, written by Xi Jinping back in 2014 called Governors of China. And, uh, ah. and many of the things in English that version? now... He, he published official English version, so you can you can actually get that. Okay. But uh, I'm not sure whether you it. have yeah, the government of China. Whether you have the patience to 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 plow through the the whole thing. But uh, there's a big chapter which he said, um, the the burden on kids and their parents is a big social problem which need need, need to be resolved. And um, and if we let it uh, fester the way it is, um, it's it's going to be detrimental for the future of our society. That's what he said back in 2014. So. So of course, I mean, um, uh, and then, then afterwards, people sort of found um, uh, other social problems that he was trying to resolve uh, in the book as well, and uh, which, which which you now see things um, um, sort of happening. Um, the, the 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 way I see it, um, there needs to be some regulation because uh, because capital uh, is profit seeking, and uh, if you don't put yeah. some rules, uh, it will. I mean, there will be negative externalities. Uh, the yeah. challenge is that. The challenge with China was that many of these things happened before the regulators figured out what to do. 
So, so this, uh, there, there might be some lessons for regulators in Southeast Asia and elsewhere saying that, I mean, now you have to commit to group buy, now you have buy now, pay later, then you have all these things. So do you do something now, set some boundaries, or do you wait until they become um, um, too big, too big, they, they, yeah. they, you try to change things that they, 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 they're sort of uh, upsetting everyone, destroying the, the investor confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And the, Another thing which um, which could be interesting. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys followed what happened this week with the with the gaming market in China. So some oh, how Xi Jinping told them that ten cents the opium of the youth, basically no, no, no. spiritual <laughs> opium. Was, uh, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Spiritual opium. Yes. Um. So so basically, what happened is that uh, this newspaper um, affiliated to Xinhua Agency uh, published an article, I think on Tuesday, saying that. Um, Saying that the games, um, games are spiritual opium is destroying destroying our young, whatever, whatever. So, so, so the investors were already hyper nervous, and when that happens, they said, shit. I mean, this is gonna be the next, and uh, and the, they started dumping Tencent stocks. I mean, Tencent dropped what 11 percent over a day, which is something like that phenomenal yeah. for Tencent and for a company of this size, right? Um, what what happened around lunchtime on the same day was uh, this article was taking off. Like disappeared. Oh, I didn't realize across that. So the it was internet. removed. Ah, it was removed. Okay, it was removed. At, no, uh, that's not the end of the story. And by by dinner time, you mean the, the internet that Tencent kind of runs? Uh, the no, no, it was mostly uh, removed of Weisin, right? Everywhere, because it was originally published okay. in 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 a, in a government affiliated website. So. Um, yeah. By dinner time, it reappears. Uh, it reappeared with the mm. old sort of uh, sensitive words removed. And and the funny thing is that the next um, day you see all this debate coming, and um, by different camps of uh, of government affiliated media, some of them are saying that um, games is our core cultural competence. I mean, if you look at the Koreans, the Japanese, and uh, they, they build basically the whole cultural industry on top of games, mm. and uh, yeah. and this is the area that our companies are making the most money outside China. So. And there's also another argument saying that, I mean, look at the young people now. I mean, if you don't give them games uh, for those who are not determined to study, they will find other ways to entertain themselves and which might be even worse than games. <laughs> so yeah. so the real burden is is, um, is, um, is a social issue that many people have their parents working in the cities, they're left alone in the countryside. And this is the real problem. Mm -hmm. The problem is not um, it's not the gaming companies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so I remember a, a friend telling me this. He said... Um, his interpretation was um, was this is probably a mid level bureaucrat uh, who sensed um, uh, the the uh, wind blowing against the capital's favor, and he said, "Okay, now I can do something that my my boss would, would be very happy about." So he wrote this article, but then it turned out that his <laughs> boss is probably not happy about what he wrote. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 then it was taken off, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, but. But, but that, that that actually highlights a, a bigger problem is that uh, when you have all this all, all this um, sort of um, medium uh, lower level or even senior level bureaucrats have been very zealous about pushing the agenda towards the mm -hmm. certain uh, yeah. certain area and uh, and the man sitting on the top would he be able to see the debate would he be able to see the reality or would he just hear one side of the voice which which says that okay let's all go left it's very good it's very good for us everyone's happy and uh, we saw that happening that like, before the cultural revolution so this is something that i think um, mm -hmm. a few informed friends are very concerned about um but um mm -hmm. but, but but it's complex it's evolving um now i mean it's um you never know right i mean you have someone who's absolutely in control now 
and he's driving a few good things. But will his idea change? Would he, will his access to information change as things um, yeah. things go by? So so it's hard to say. Yeah, Paula. I think. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. I, I'm done. No, no. I was just trying to understand, Jangan. Jangan, what do you what do you mean by that? Like, you mean whether or not the decision to do these kinds of things is actually morally correct, and whether that should be like reviewed by a bunch of other people, or what, what do you mean with that statement? I mean, um, so 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 where you have someone who whose decision is absolute, right? I mean, everyone everyone has to follow. Uh, then, I mean, how do you make sure that this person is always making the right decisions? How do you make sure yeah. that this person has the right information to make those decisions? Um, because in the beginning, it's good, but uh, but 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 afterwards, because there's no consent, people are, people are sort of used to saying things that this person likes, and which might collectively mm. yeah. roll the whole country towards a certain direction, which might not be good. Yeah, I I, mm. I think you brought up so many really good points there and i i just want to sort of add on to that so i think like in terms of the regulatory environment this is actually super interesting because if you look at what's happening in america right this is actually being mirrored to a certain extent in the u.s and what i mean by that is you know um america has been on like sort of like this chicago school neoclassical approach to regulation for the last like 40 years which is basically free markets right and then their 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 standard for antitrust has been essentially um what's good for the consumer right uh, and so you know by that definition then a lot of these large tech companies in the us and then globally really they're good for the consumer like i go on amazon i get cheap stuff it's delivered to my house in like five minutes. I go on Netflix, all my content is free. But what it sort of leaves out is the externalities that these uh, companies produce, right? So so like Facebook obviously has, I mean, any of these large tech companies has externalities, right? And I think that's, if you look at sort of the appointment of the new FTC chair in the US, Lena Khan, her approach is actually quite similar to, in, in some ways to what the CCP is doing, where she is using a more holistic uh, viewpoint of how these companies are operating to to yeah. inform her antitrust um, legislation, right? So actually, I see America. There, there's some lessons here actually that I think that Americans can take, right? Because that's essentially what the Chinese are saying. Like if you think about the role of a regulator and and what a regulator is supposed to do, I mean they have a couple different jobs, right? But one is obviously enforcement of the rules, but also it's kind of what kind of environment do we want to create in our society, in our culture? And I think the CCP has been progressively being more upfront about, okay, these are the things that we want to promote, these are the things that we don't want to promote. And I think the US is going to start going in that way. I think the difference here is that obviously in the US, you have the due process, right? So you have to like, yeah. you know, there's rulings and you can fight the rulings. It'll go through the court system mm -hmm. up and down. It gets politicized. It gets politi yeah, it gets politicized where, where in China, you know, then it's just kind of like, okay, well, today, is what it is and it's it's a bit more opaque right and actually i looked into this too as well so a lot of what's been sort of been rolled out in the last couple of weeks in china like so for example the 10 cent uh music streaming um deal where basically the government forced 10 cent to give up their exclusivity with a bunch of music labels that law is actually just enforcement of a law that's been on the books since 2008 they just haven't done anything with it Right. So, mm -hmm. and I think that's, that's also in terms of like the public markets and, and what's happening is like, it's really just a kick in the pants. Right. Cause if you think about it, this situation scenario has always been a possibility in China. Right. And people just kind of forget that this is a possibility. Yeah. Right. So like, if you know anything about how corporations structured and basically 
all the big Chinese tech companies that are listed in the US, like the the uh, the, the Tencent or not Tencent, like Alibaba's mm. and whatnot, they're kind of bucketed or it's done through like this very gray mechanism known as the VIE, which is the variable mm. interest entity, and a Woofie, which is a full, like basically it's like holding companies within holding companies. So like it's like shell companies, basically. Yeah, shell it's shell, it's a shell game, right? And yeah. these structures are kind of like an illegal gray zone. The CCP tolerates mm. it, right? But theoretically, at any time, you could pull the plug on these things. And but mm. everyone knows this, right? When Alibaba yeah. went went IPO, this was like a big part of it. And people, honestly, for being honest, just kind of got greedy and they forgot, right? They yeah, forgot exactly. that this. Well, that's why they're doing the cross listings now in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, yeah. And now, now, yeah. Uh, now the CCP is just kind of like, hey. I mean, I don't think this is their intent. Their intent is, I think, is I agree with Jungan. Their intent is like a bit of social engineering, creating the society and the culture that they want. But I think this is like a useful reminder for whoever is investing in the market. Like, by the way, you should probably apply a discount to any Chinese company you're going to buy because this could happen at any time and you're not going to have a lot of heads up when it does, right? Yeah. So, so I, guess, I guess two points. One is, you know, a lot of these companies... Um, are also cross-listing in Hong Kong. And in, yeah. in that case, you know, if you're buying the Hong Kong asset, you're theoretically buying a closer approximation of what the real company is. Um, so, I mean, that's what I prefer to do. Obviously, if you're an American investor, it may be a bit more expensive for you. But but if I could just like, I think philosophically, uh, to Jangan's earlier point, right? This discussion is is like a, a several millennia old, like I, I think the Latins had a term for it, like a quiz, quiz like who will watch the watchmen, yeah. right? Uh, Plato in the, in the Republic was talking about this already, right? Like if you have a monarch, if you have even a voted small group of people, how do you ensure that the decisions they make is representative of yeah. what is right for uh, for groups of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. The way Western countries have developed is by, and today, like wh- whether you call it, you know, Austrian school or neoliberal uh, liberal economics or whatever, ultimately it's the idea that market forces will detect the best outcomes given time to correct itself, right? And if you create the right kinds of checks and balances, markets will figure themselves out. The problem with that is, um, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's this very interesting perspective of like, when do you need generals and when do you need um, politicians in power, mm, right? Yeah. And this idea being like in the, you know, in a fast growth wartime environment, you actually need strong generals who are able to kind of, you know, ensure that people know what to do and that they are moving in a specific direction. Yeah. And 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 some country, I mean, China was able to take 600 million people out of poverty in the course of like 15, 20 years. Very few countries have been able to do that, right? And you can argue they did that at the cost of personal liberty, human rights. Uh, and and now I can say this as an external uh, spectator, that it seems like the right decision. But if I was living in a concentration camp or someone in my family was, I would believe very strongly about this. So it's very nice to be like all Latin phrasey about this and be like, ah, oh, they're doing the right thing. Right. But that being said, that being said, even as an external spectator, I feel like this like some logic to this push right which is which is like if you if you go to the bare bones and you ask yourself what is the best possibility a human being could express himself in life and ideally they should be pushing 
something scientific, advancing humanity, having some utility, or if you're a believer in beauty and truth and art, then they are also creating something beautiful, right? Now, then the question is, what do you define as beauty and art? And is gaming and people spending time, you know, 48 hours consecutively in Fortnite considered beauty and art? And if that should be something that you continue to support is fashion art. Because if that's the case, then the growth of Alibaba, the growth of Tencent, these things that are okay, yeah. right? So so, so I, I think that the CPC is making a strict argument here that like utility production, industrialization is more important than opium, dopamine hits from, from cool fashion items or buying useless shit or spending time on a game. And... If I was a parent, I might probably agree with them, you know, but I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, you, well, Sorry, there's, one, yeah, there's one interesting point you bring up is like, there is a huge disconnect of them telling their own story. And I think where China could make up is like developing in media and storytelling. Yeah, she made a public speech uh, a few months ago and basically tell everyone saying that you need to tell the China story in a different way because clearly what we have been doing is not working. So, so, yeah. so, 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 so basically, I mean, from my, from my understanding, I mean, I, I sort of know, know how this bureaucracy works, right? I mean, um, I mean, if you look at their lingo, uh, because, because they have a huge legacy, right? I mean, different, different leaders, different political thoughts were added to, 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 to this narrative over the years and, uh, and then becomes something which is extremely difficult for outsiders to understand. I mean, if you think about any any Chinese communist cutter, when he talks about something, he will always start with Karl uh, Marx, then go to Mao Zedong, then go to Deng Xiaoping. Then go, I mean, yeah. you have to mention about all these people and their thoughts before you yeah. mention about what you really want to talk about. So <laughs> so, so this has become a big burden, and it has become sort of something which is very yeah. difficult to communicate. Um, yeah, well, uh, that's my point. I think from an immediate perspective, they, they, they developed the media industry. I mean, that's the power of American propaganda, right? That all the cultural exports from movies and celebrities, all this. Yeah, yeah. I think America has just equally the same problems. They just know how to sell the story better. So, I mean, if one yeah, way for China to solve this, if they want to share their perspective, guys, is guys, through media. I think it's because we're English speakers who read English stuff, right? And at the end of the sure. day, right yeah, now, sure. whether you like it or not, yeah. we are in the midst of a Cold War where the West is painting a picture that the right way to live is Western liberal democracies and market forces. Yeah. And, oh, close your eyes about Iraq and Afghanistan. We weren't there for oil, right? Yeah. But, right. but oh, them, them doing the stuff in Spratly Islands, that's <laughs> terrible. Look at China. You know, somebody punished yeah. them. Unfortunately, it's all propaganda, right? And both yeah, sides right. have done all kinds of useless sure. shit. If you look at, you know, anything that's happened in Nicaragua or Iran, really really uh is the west doing things in a morally correct way yeah, right correct. was guantanamo and and what's happening in xinjiang not neck to neck equal okay right well, uh, so, um, well, yeah. well, let's, let's, let's get a final comment from dave and then we have to move to the next topic sure uh, okay 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 so just i uh, sum this up I, I i agree with everyone's points here i, I think ultimately in the, the day it's a spectrum Right, it's a spectrum of beliefs and ideas, and it, there's trade-offs, as everyone has correctly pointed out, um, on each side. And ultimately, my only point here is a question of where does your legitimacy come from? Right. So in the U.S., where Western democracies, our legitimacy, our legitimacy is derived from an election. It's a popularity contest. So, and that could that can be very thin. I mean, the recent elections, the margins were incredibly thin and some of the yeah. candidates lost the popular vote. So the question of like, is that a legitimate leader is a question, right? And then on the Chinese side, I think a, a large part of where their legitimate, the CCP's 
legitimacy comes from is competence, right? And I think that's the deal that they've made is we will take everyone, we'll, we'll drive society forward and our legitimacy is derived from our competence, right? And, and then there's, more, there's no moral judgment here. My only point here is that works when we have competent, when you have a competent leader. But I think to Jingan's point, like what happens when a leader no longer becomes competent or you, or becomes senile or whatever. And then you open it up to a lot of, you know, scenarios that we see where we live, where it's like, you know, single source of power, but the leaders and they've lost their competency. Right. So that's, 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 I've said my piece. I'm done. So, so, so in the two by two of democratically elected, but not competent, and competent but not democratically elected, where would you choose to place your votes? Because oh, on no. one side you have Trump, <laughs> on one side you have Trump, <laughs> and on the other side you have Xi Jinping. I'm just just laying that out there. I mean, it's look, the Singapore model too. Yeah, this, but that's, but that's, this is the point, right? I mean, if you think about the function of a government, the function of a government is to provide a solution for the broadest group of the population and then optimize for whatever's on the margins, yeah. right? So if we use that heuristic or that framework, the CCP has been wildly, wildly successful, okay. right? Mm. So well, as long as I'm, as long as I'm in that group, then of course I'm going to vote for the CCP. But as yeah. soon as I'm on the margins, then of course, you mm. know, your tone changes. Uh, nobody votes right, in let's, China. Let's, let's move on to anyway. Yeah, I can't go to China anymore. <laughs> they, they, they vote for people who go to the party, but beyond that, yeah, you don't vote. Okay, but anyway, yeah. um, uh, last topic, Bukukas, Bukuwaran. Uh, when Jiangan presented this topic, he said, is it tenable? Um, uh, Andrew, you had these kind of companies and business models came across your radar very early. Why don't you explain kind of briefly uh, what they are, how they work, and then maybe some of your early thoughts on how that kind of changed till now? Got it. Um, so just off the cuff, uh, these, so Kata book probably originated this idea in India, uh, 2018, 2019. Um, it's a model of, honestly, the way it's positioned is like bookkeeping for, for the lowest of the lowest of SMEs, right? And, you know, whatever you, you call them, Mintras, uh, Mitras in, in Indonesia, Saris in Philippines, I forget what the term is in India, but like Kirana it's, shops. it's basically your regular corner store. Kirana shops. There you go, Kirana. And like there's also one in, in uh, Ladam, corner shop that just sold to Uber for 3B, slightly different business model. But like, you know, um, this whole corner store, like digitizing corner stores has whetted the appetites of many people. And and there's there's a lot of, of demand here, right? Like, yeah. you know, the Unilevers and Nestle's of the world want to get information of how stuff is being sold here. Uh, F&B players want to get into the stores. Um, Flipkart's doing hyper-local deliveries using uh, corner stores, right? So if you're a corner store that only sells fast-moving consumer goods, can you sell uh, phones as well? If I give you, you know, the, the details of what gets sold in a 10-kilometer radius around you so that you take the inventory risk, but then you speed up the delivery time to customers from seven days to three days, right? It's what China calls new retail or what Alibaba and Jack Ma were, were, were thumping very strongly. And, and new retail is like a very messy term that, that is all of these things and more, right? But yeah. it basically means digitizing corner store slash mom and pop shops. Um, 
now i think book cast book and, and so like for me i think like the more exciting space is like the the universe of these not just the book cast and book warungs but there's gurang ada there's uh there's gurang sari there's ula there's been a lot of movement in the space of like how do we get corner stores to just be more uh you know digitized and therefore monetize it either to sell ads to sell that data to fmcg players to yeah. i don't know monetize it with loans basically build build cool okay. shit monetize it later right um and um <laughs> these this these apps and 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 there is some logic here right which is more I, I, like if you go even further back like like facebook and google built something so good that users were willing to just give all their data that these companies were then able to monetize it and become behemoths and trillion dollar companies right yeah. and so everyone's now trying to figure out what is the next moat of like uh, mm. data that people are looking at and and yeah. that's a huge consumer group right so like, yeah. like that's that's probably the bigger picture here um onto the specifics like these two examples you mentioned were trying to cut it from a bookkeeping perspective uh and the idea being like zero slash quickbooks but for small businesses which is a pretty tough sell because like if you're using pieces of paper in the past would you actually want to use this um but where they really succeeded is in being able to build that tracking as a feature right so yeah. in any of these markets and if you've lived in a small village like me you know, you go to your local corner store and because you have no money you say i want two candies and a sampurna box of cigarettes and then he writes it down in a little book in malaysia we call it buku lima 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 so your 555 book yeah. because it's a little book that fits in your pocket and has 555 on it and at the end of the month your dad goes to the store and he goes okay how much did my family buy this month right mm-hmm. and you know this guy says okay well your wife bought this your son bought this your daughter keeps coming and buys you know these chocolate chips maybe you should get her to start, lay off that stuff and then he sums up that adds a bit of interest on it and you pay that right uh, and now what these guys did actually kata book looked around the whole space they tried to build like quickbooks they realized it wasn't catching on yeah. and then they figured out that tracking was the thing that was going to blow things up right so when they built that tracking as a feature it absolutely blew up like basically uh it was a way to digitize that that loan collection process um and ab- everyone absolutely loved it because they were like wait well now i don't need to chase this guy because this dude just never pays mm-hmm. back on time right and now i can actually have a record of when he paid me and yeah. has he not paid for february yet because every time he comes he's like oh i already paid you for february you know so yeah. so it was a way to digitize that process which is incredible and so they've had like incredible growth rates in indonesia and i applaud them uh and whoever else is trying to build this kind of stuff yeah and i think dave you're super bullish on these why don't you tell us your your take Well, I mean, I just I I think these things are I mean, monsters. Honestly, they're they're monsters. Like if I if I look at sort of like their growth trajectory and the statistics, let me let me just start there and I'll go a bit deeper, right? So I mean, these guys are actually roughly the same size uh so far, right? So so and they've both been raising rounds of capital basically once every quarter, once every 6 months, right? So so they raised their most the previous round before their most recent round they had like 3.5 million merchants registered uh and then they were processing somewhere in the neighborhood according to their own reports somewhere around like um 500 million in terms of volume right so this was like february november november of last year february of this year i respectively and now if i look at these numbers again they're look they're at like 6.3 million registered merchants and then they're they're these guys are claiming they're processing like 20 billion us dollars worth of worth of transaction volumes in like 4 to 6 months time that's 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 insane like that to me is incredibly 
um, impressive. So I mean, but those are like the, the, the surface level stats, right? I think why I really like these businesses is twofold, right? Num- number one, um, I really like businesses where there's a defensible moat, right? And going into like the war runs and acquiring these users and getting to sign up, that's hard work that a lot of people I don't think are willing to do. And that to me is very, very uh, defensible, right? And um, the second part of that is also, I just think there's like a huge market demand. I did some like sort of like uh, just high level research, right? And like in Indonesia, the Warons, these SMEs account for like 60% of the GDP. They're a huge contributor of the GDP and they're like 90% of all um, employment or employers, right? They account for 90% employment. But their actual like percentage in terms of loans, like the amount of uh, loans going to SMEs is only 20%. So essentially you have this huge contributor of, of cap or to GDP, but they don't have access to capital. They don't have access to, to growth, right? And that to me is a huge underserved market. And I'm just, you know, from what I've seen so far, I'm incredibly bullish on these two companies or just the yeah. sector. I should say I'm incredibly bullish on the sector in general. So, so I like, I, I, I'm going to step back here and say it's not just about, if it's about loans, I think, you know, it's a larger topic of like microfinance, right? Like, yeah. and, and Grameen Bank and a bunch of other places have been trying to do that. And it's not just about the warungs. It's everyone who is loanable. How could you do better credit scoring and, yeah. and give them loans, right? Um, because the, the fundamental issue is a lot of these guys are what, what these countries call unbankable. They yeah. don't have bank accounts. They don't have data. They don't have credit scores. Yeah. And, and because of their way of living, they're just not able to get that. And now I guess like the big push is like, how do you get other forms of data to make them more lendable? Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's, that's exactly the point, right? Sorry, sorry, yeah. Jim. Let me just, yeah, that's the point. No, no, go, like, go, 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 previously, you're right. It's an, it's an issue of data. You didn't have access to the data. Maybe their books weren't mm. properly done or they had bad invoicing or, or bad tracking, right? But that's, I think, what's the beauty of, for me, the beauty of this platform is now that they're the infrastructure that powers the financial stack for these companies or these businesses, they have the visibility into, into that uh, information, right? And theoretically, you are then optimized to be in a position where you can you know, be uh, the person who, who makes these loans. Yeah. So Sorry, Jangan, you're going to say something. Yeah, yeah let's see from Jangan. So Jangan actually uh, built and sold him a fintech company in Indonesia. So I think his insights are going to be really good on this. Yeah, so I, <clears throat> I spent enough time in Jakarta um, before the pandemic. <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> a few points for me. First is that uh, I, I think digitizing this, um, this, this sort of last description points, which, um, which first, I mean, are numerous. And second is that they reached out to tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of, uh, of consumers. And if you, if you can control that entry point, there are lots of things you can do. Um, uh, this is the stuff that, uh, I mean, if you think about some of the state-owned bank, banks, uh, <clears throat> they, they have been trying to do that for, for a while. I mean, building edge networks uh, across yeah. the uh, across the rural areas, villages mm-hmm. and stuff. And if you look at yeah. companies like Kudo and Pefas, they were doing the same thing. And they have uh, Bukalapa building mutual Bukalapa and and um, and Tokopedia building mutual yeah. um, Tokopedia. So so basically, there's all these companies and even Warun Pintar. So there's all these companies which which did something similar, which experimented different models, but which went I think a bit too early in the sense that the market was not ready, that the, the, the consumer education was not there, and uh, and uh, I mean the, the, the internet coverage and outside major cities, etc. So all these infrastructure problems. So so as a result, these companies um, which went earlier were not growing as fast as uh, as people look at the potential. Then you have 
Puku Kaisen and Puku Warnun taking the Karabuk model. They go into Indonesia and they use a model which is relatively light and which is relatively easy for companies to adopt. And by now, I think the likes of Xiaomi, Ovo, whatever, have made sure that everyone has a smartphone or everyone has the ability to buy a smartphone on credit. So, yeah. so, 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 yeah. so when they came in, they rode a wave and they, they can generate, I mean, they can generate a, uh, um, a user base very, very, very quickly. Um, um, the question is that, uh, I mean, what's next, right? I mean, once you have, have the, this user base, how do they convert this into something which, which has a mode and which is monetizable? Whether it's through loans, whether it's through fees, whether it's through commission, whether they, whether they just sell, sell game credits, whatever. So so this is the thing they need to figure out. I think yeah. Yeah. I, I think microfinance is a big thing that they have been telling investors. So so that's something which which I think also depends a lot on on the regulations as well. So I see that uh, that Buku Cash hired ex Grab guy ahead of uh, government relations in Indonesia. So I think that's the move on the right side. Mm -hmm. So make sure yeah. that because at the end of the day you have all this data, and uh, would, all, would only all this data pose a problem that that the regulators are not comfortable with. So this is something that yeah. these guys probably need to figure yeah. out. But uh, but I do think they have the ability to to to. To figure this out, I mean, if I would grab and grab bot um, bot Kudo, and if I would grab a Gojek and I would invest in one of these companies, I would not buy it because I don't have executives to run it, but um, yeah. <laughs> to run it efficiently. But uh, but I, I would invest in these companies because just in case they become super big, and uh, at least I have a hand in it. Agreed. Yeah. So so man, just quick quick comments there, right? I mean, um, you know, good good that you brought up like. Uh, Bukalapak had their incredible IPO today, 24% up on, on their stock price immediately yeah. upon launch. And they chose to launch in Indonesia, right? Like, so, I mean, me, fucking awesome that we have an, like a local Indonesian startup just completely killing it. And they kind of innovated on this Mitra model, Mitra model first, right? They were the first in the market to launch this. Um, that being said, and, and so, like, actually, one thing I like about Bukalapak is it's not just an e-commerce company. It's actually way more than that, but people don't, don't see a lot of that details unless you're in Indonesia. Uh, and they actively, uh, like, so, you know, one of my personal beliefs is, like, you've got to be very close to the ground and be able to work and, and figure out what's right for the Warungs. Because I think, I think the problem is us sitting in our nice seats here far away from the ground, the numbers look nice, the story yeah. looks nice, but the detail is very, very different. Mm. Okay, so let me just yeah. spell things out a little bit. Um, so kudo, kudo started by one of uh, you know my my colleagues at, at BCG Agong. You know they sold incredible business, and it was probably a precursor to the Pinduoduo model. It was an agent-based selling model, right? They were like, can we get people inside all of these tier three, tier four cities to actually sell on behalf of Shopee, Lazada, these other guys? Uh, because a lot of people don't know how to use these phones. It was an incredible model when you thought about it. It was almost an extension of affiliate marketing, mm. right? So like what we already do online, can you do that physically? And today, if you think about it, that's the Pinduoduo model. How can I get people in apartment buildings to buy for a group of 50 people uh, and, and get discounts and get paid for doing that, right? And almost build like a whole career out of it. Um, and if you think about what Flipkart is doing with the hyper-local P2P stuff in India, it's uh, or, or what Gorillas is doing in Berlin with dark stores, except that they own the stores, it's almost a similar model. How do we get things to people who faster and monetize corner stores, right? But, and so I guess the cool thing here is like this space is is massive, right? Like yeah. there's multiple business models that are going to exist. And that's why everyone's investing in all the cuts. Like Ula's, Ula's raising around, Gudangada's raising around, Tamasek's going in left, right, and center, Sequoia's in everyone, right? And, and I think like the space, like we're only seeing the beginnings of it. Like you're not even cutting into 
the small holders in other industries like what about agri what about fisheries which are much larger in malaysia and indonesia what about manufacturing which is massive in thailand and vietnam how will we digitize the small and medium supply chain players in this space right mm-hmm. um but i think and and this is where i'm going to take step back i think the interesting thing here is like what are the roads and railroads that are being built right now because like because a lot of these guys ultimately they want to build these apps so that they can monetize the users later mm-hmm. um but sometimes there is a, a whole layer underneath that needs to be built first and like some apps have been able to build that uh for or, or in lieu of governments no offense to any governments in asia but like sometimes if the government ain't able to build it the co- the company does that right so If you take India, India built this incredible India stack, right? They they've got UPI, the payments infrastructure. They've got other that does like verified credentials. And now if you think about it, like that's what a lot of these businesses in Indonesia are trying to do as well. In lieu of the government doing it, they are trying to do it, right? But you're still going to have a ton of issues because if you look at these businesses, the people that we talk about unbankability as if it's a spectrum but the reality is like it's very very difficult to do proper credit models and figure out who actually can you lend to right but uh, and this is why microfinance has struggled because like you know with grants in in like east africa for example you have requirements like can you give grants only to people who send their daughters to school because you know you have better outcomes can you give grants to people who only uh, yeah so the bill and melinda gates foundation found that giving uh, like trying to get girls to go to school is the best thing you can do because yeah. it reduces population growth rates it has an educated population mm-hmm. you know they they just it's better for the economy yeah but there's no way to to actually add that as a condition because how do you uh, actually calculate that so here's an idea for you what if you could use you know some kind of distributed ledger to track attendance records of your children for you to get micro payments right so like like that, that's what i mean like that that innovation around this space is yet to be broken yet um and and you know just to call out like a crazy example tamasix invested in this company called affinity affinity is trying to do uh, distributed contracts uh to solve issues like this right now they've launched a, a program called good worker in india that is basically like a p2b contract uh um e- employment service right and so actually i think like if you go one level deeper than these business models we spoke about there's actually like credentials and financial stacks of services that haven't been built yet and and that's where a lot of cool opportunities are okay uh, i think um we're going to have to continue the conversation for next week uh jenga has to run but i think it's uh, a good place to end that <clears throat> lots of lots of good points and i think i think many of the issues here that we could expand and uh, and they are all interrelated so so very very interesting yeah all right guys uh thanks for our second episode of the yeah. podcast always a pleasure guys thank you have a nice weekend thanks, guys see you guys Bye. ciao guys Bye. hasta luego hasta luego yeah sorry uh, jangan had to go so hey, yeah no worries man i just realized it was 4:30 Yeah, yeah. Uh, we need like a, a timer, or maybe like a clock or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're you're the bit. clock, dude. You're the clock. Yeah, we, sig- we did grab for an hour, which sucks. No, no, it was uh, <laughs> forty minutes.